Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. Episode 63, part one, features the voice of the cats, Tom Leach. Growing up just down the road in Paris, Kentucky, Tom paved his own way to having the best seat in the house at Rupp Arena and Kroger Field. And he didn't have to go far to do it. At age 16, Tom was covering local sports on the radio and writing for the newspaper. And he continued to follow his dreams through college and taking advantage of every opportunity that was presented to him. He had a little bit of help along the way by a couple guys who were pretty good themselves on the radio. Tom will explain to you his preparation and routine leading up to the day of the game and how he mentally prepares, bringing the call of the Wildcats to the Big Blue Nation. Tom's first football game was Kentucky and Louisville in 1997. No pressure, right? You'll find out how Coach Hal Mummy and the Cats helped Tom out that game. And you're gonna go behind the scenes with some of the current and former members of the UK Sports Network. Tom Leach is as homegrown as they come and his signature touchdown Kentucky, it's as good as it gets on a Saturday in the bluegrass. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs and his guest, Tom Leach. Tom, lots of little boys throughout Kentucky grew up wanting to play Kentucky football or basketball. I got a feeling you grew up wanting to call the game. Well, first I wanted to grow up playing for them. Uh, then at some point I realized that probably wasn't going to happen. <laughs> uh, I, my best sport was baseball, so uh, I think it was, I was probably as much dreaming of playing for the Reds too. Uh, but I realized that wasn't going to happen along the way. And so somewhere probably – late middle school, early high school, somewhere in there, I kind of shifted over to uh, the other dream of uh, being the UK announcer, not being too young and not realizing how narrow the target was and being too naive to appreciate the uh, the odds there. Um, I've actually got a, a clipping. I found this going through some uh, old boxes uh, recently from my senior year of high school, and I listed this job as the goal uh, at that time. Um, so yeah, I, uh, it goes back a ways. Growing up in Bourbon County, not that far from Lexington, you have a chance to see any UK games in your preteen years. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the football side, I'm, I can't really remember going to Stallfield. I'm sure I probably did see a game or two, but in 73, when the new stadium opened, then Commonwealth Stadium, now Kroger Field, when that opened, my dad got season tickets for the first time. You couldn't get basketball tickets, but with all the new seats opening up, and you could get football tickets. And so he bought football tickets, uh, and so he and I went to every home game. And so uh, I think I've seen – I might have missed one or two in the history of that stadium. Uh, so we would go every Saturday to the home games, and we'd uh, go at – usually hit the Starlight Drive-In, 
on Nicholasville Road on the way to the stadium, which is um, uh, a Kentucky Fried Chicken that was locally owned, so it was called the Starlight Drive-In, and get some chicken boxes and go uh, sit in the car and listen to the pregame show, including Leonard's Losers, and then go into the games. And then basketball, uh, I would get to go to, I would say, five or six games a year in those days when I was growing up. Uh, the UKIT, you could usually get tickets to. And then I had an uncle. Um, well, I called him an uncle. He really wasn't my dad's brother, but he was a, a dear friend. And he was the VP of a place called Van Deer and Hardware, which was right behind Rupp Arena. And uh, they were a huge hardware operation. Anyway, the company had season tickets. And um, my uh, uncle John, would, uh, a guy named John Wall, uh, he and my dad were dear friends. And so he'd invite my dad and I to go with him to use those tickets a few times a year. And so I'd get to go to, you know, four or five games and maybe a UKIT through that way. So I, uh, that probably started somewhere in the early 70s. So I saw, you know, several games at the Coliseum. Um, one of my favorite memories was they were playing Tennessee. And Joe Dean, I think, it was Joe Dean and John Ferguson doing the TVS game of the week. And they were playing Tennessee, and they rode out on the unicycles that they warmed up in that Ray Mears was part of his thing and this striped pants and all that. And Jodine was interviewing Ray Mears for the TV broadcast right shortly before the game started. It would never happen now, usually. And um, he, just as the red light comes on, they set up right in front of the student section at the Coliseum, and I'm sure you remember this, they pelted them with orange slices. Absolutely. And I was there that day, so I always, that's an always uh, one, one that I remember. Remember how the Coliseum shook when Kentucky would come down that ramp uh, onto the court. Did you ever get a chance to uh, hear any other announcers other than Claywood when you were growing up? No, I was born in 61. So my first memories of uh, following Kentucky basketball are probably the the 70 season. And so that was exclusively Kaywood by that time. I think in 68 they went to uh, one voice of the Wildcats because Claude Sullivan had passed away. Right. So I, I did not in, in those days hear Claude or – Jim Host or Earl Boardman or any of the other guys that did games. When you was growing up, you were also a big Red fan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, radio was king. Yes. Al Michaels, Marty Brenneman. I've always said that I had the best training a young broadcaster could have, better than any training you could get in a classroom, because I grew up listening to Kaywood and Ralph on the Kentucky games and listened to – Al Michaels and Joe Nuxall, and then Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall on the Reds games. So those were the the main voices I heard uh, growing up as a sport, you know, doing games. Was there any question at which school you were going to attend as far as college? No, because um, I, I looked at a few other schools, and you know, if some if there had been a you know a, a full scholarship or something somewhere, that might have changed things just with the finances. But uh, no, I, I was already working in my hometown and I wanted to keep doing that doing games and so I'd started that when I was 16 years old in 1977 so I graduated high school in 79 so I wanted to keep uh, working at the newspaper and the radio station and so I uh, made it very easy to go to UK so I, st- I lived at home through college because I was still working in Paris so you were across you were writing for the newspaper mm-hmm. And doing uh, play-by-play high school games? Yeah, I started out in the radio uh, in 77 doing uh, high school games, Paris and Bourbon County, and then uh, started working at the newspaper in 79. 
So I was probably putting in 30 to 40 hours a week between the two jobs uh, all through college. You graduate, and then you come to work here in Lexington? Graduated, and uh, my first full-time job was actually in Mount Sterling. It was uh, a chance to do where we did in Paris. We didn't do all the games during basketball season. We'd do a game of the week in football. In basketball, we really just did tournaments uh, and occasional regular season games, some of the rivalry games. And I graduated college, and I wanted to do a lot of games. I wanted to do games, uh, all the basketball games. And so um, I got a full-time job at WMST in Mount Sterling, and that was in the November probably of 83. And I did Montgomery County high school games, uh, every boys' game that season. I uh, did a few uh, Bath County games and a few Clark County games as well. Guy Strong was coaching Clark County at the time. Got to know him at the time. Got him Julian Cunningham, a high school coach and legend, was coaching Montgomery yeah. County. And I, did a, I didn't have an analyst, so I was just uh, doing them by myself most of the time. And, uh, but I did the whole season of Montgomery County games. Did you start a, a, a game plan somewhere along the line on how you were going to eventually wind up as – the play-by-play announcer for Kentucky. The plan that I had, and I, again, nobody in my family had ever gone down this path. My dad uh, farmed and did other jobs. Uh, his brothers, uh, two brothers, uh, mostly were, were farmers. Uh, my mom had worked at a uh, uh, plant, like a, it was called Hansley Mills, but it was similar to like a jockey plant sewing um, until uh, I was born, and then she worked on the farm. So nobody, you know, there had been a lot of athletes in my family, but nobody had done anything media-related, so I didn't know anything about how to carve out the path. I just wanted to – I got started early when I was 16, and the plan that I, I remember I had in my idea, I went to uh, to Kaywood and to Ralph when I was probably about a senior in high school, and they were kind enough to critique tapes for me. And how did you I, go about making the contact with them? Just, it just called. Uh, uh, my parents gave me a lot of uh, confidence, uh, believed in me, and a lot of people around me did. So I just called. And fortunately, they were gracious enough. Uh, at that time, uh, Ralph's station, uh, WVLK, was working out of the Phoenix Hotel, on the top floor of the Phoenix Hotel. So I went up and interviewed with Ralph. And uh, there was a guy, a gentleman by the name of Jerry Foley, who was our sales manager at the station I worked at in Paris. And uh, Jerry passed away way too soon from a heart attack. But he had worked for Ralph in sales. And I think there's probably that probably helped with that connection with Jerry. Got me in with Ralph. And then uh, I think Kaywood uh, maybe just, you know, asked. And, and he was kind enough to uh, let me come by his office, which was there on uh, uh, Kentucky Avenue uh, at the time in downtown Lexington. And um, he was very kind to spend a few minutes with me and uh, – critiqued my tape that I had sent him, cassette tape. And I was, in looking back now and listening, I was really bad. But at that time, I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. I thought I was really good, and they were going to hire me. And But anyway, as far as you, back to your question, it's a long way to answer your question. I uh, My plan was without really – I didn't really consult with anybody. I should have. But as it turned out, I thought that I would go to work for the – get a job at the flagship station. Uh, which was uh, WVLK at that time, and Ralph ran that station, and he was on the UK network. And my plan was to get on that team and work my way up. And fortunately, it turned out that it, it worked out on that path. Oh. But it was uh, kind of, you know, a, 
blind squirrel finding the acorn kind of thing. What was your first job at VOK? Just as a news reporter. Um, my uh, day off was Monday. I worked uh, Tuesday through Sunday doing news. And uh, kind of the, along the plan is like once I get in there, then I'm going to take every opportunity to get to do sports. And so uh, a guy named Tim Smile, who's still a good friend, lives out in Denver now. Tim was the sports director. And so anytime he took a vacation or there were two games to do or you know, had to be in doubleheader and do two games, I was always the first to volunteer to – you know, let me let me do it. Let me fill in on the call-in show. Let me uh, do the game. I'll keep stats, whatever it was. Uh, so I just tried to to get on get on that team and, and and find a way to get in the game, so to speak. Well, I remember Ralph telling me his way into the role was he was doing freshman games with Kaywood, yeah, where he was working at the station, and then it just sort of filtered through. Got him a uh, Jim Lamaster, a former Kentucky player who was a good friend of uh, my father's. Uh, um, he um, spoke on my behalf to Ralph, and that helped, uh, I think, helped me get a foot in the door uh, to get a, my first job at VOK, and then it was up to me after that. Let me just bring in a couple names here. I know that we're very involved in your career getting the boost to getting into the network, and that's, of course, Ralph Hacker and Jim Host and Ralph Gabbard because they had the UK network mm-hmm. together at the time. Uh, how, how did they help you how did they help you launch getting over into this first and foremost would be ralph hacker because i worked for him for 16 years and um, started in uh, august of 84 and he was always uh, you know encouraging uh challenging uh and uh he's a dear dear friend now but he nobody has probably uh, you know, professionally, parents probably had the greatest impact on my life. Professionally, probably nobody had had a greater impact because he was the guy I worked for uh, that helped me get onto the the network and uh, and work my way up. And ways that I you know keep a scoreboard scorecard now doing games. Uh, a lot of that goes back to things Ralph taught me uh, of uh, how how to do it. Um, you know, just how to do the job, uh, how to handle yourself, uh, a lot of those uh, things um, from working for him. Uh, Ralph Gabbard, I, I, Ralph worked at the TV station. He was always very supportive, but I didn't work in TV, so I didn't really work for Ralph Gabbard, and so I didn't have any uh, consistent interaction with him other than just, just him being encouraging. Um, and Jim Host um, hired me in 89 to be on the UK network, and that was my first goal was to just get on the network. And so – uh, the rights had been held by the Kentucky News Network uh, up until 89. Host Communications got them back. And when they did, uh, I was determined to try to get on the team at that point because uh, that was my first chance. And so I did the scoreboard show on the UK network and then later would go on to do some more pre- and post-game stuff and, and grow in that role. And then um, uh, from there is where I got the chance to do football in 97. So Jim was – the guy that uh, gave me the first chance to get on the UK network. And then uh, there's nobody uh, – you've got no better friend than Jim Host, and you've got no more honest uh, critique than Jim Host will give you. So he gave me uh, – I, I talked about Ralph and the, the way I keep cards and things. I've got a, a packet of information that I refer to before every broadcast, and it's game notes and a lot of different things. But there's also at the end of it a package of – uh, just critiques over the years that I 
refer to before every game. And there's a lot from Jim Host that's that's in there of, uh, of things I'll remember to to try to avoid slipping from game to game or season to season. Not long after that, not long after '89, Kaywood retires, and it's to the fans it's sudden. They're not expected, except he announces it before the beginning of the season. And of course, there were a lot of people, as fans are, you know, you, there's a legend, a legend to be followed. And Ralph came in after that, and I'll never forget Ralph telling me at the end of that season, there won't be a debate over who the next play-by-play announcer. When I hang it up, it's going to be Tom Leach. Well, that's, I didn't didn't know he didn't know that story. Yeah, and and he says, trust me. It will be smooth for him, and I, well, Ralph's always looked uh, looked out for for people he cared about, and uh, um, he gave great loyalty. And he expected great, yeah. Loyalty. And uh, and I, I should say, Kaywood uh, was great to me too because I I didn't work for him, but I was on the network. I was usually back in studio, so I wasn't at the game site. Uh, even for uh, for home games, I would have to leave before the game ended to get back to the studio to do uh, my my role. and But, yeah, I would be there before the games, and so I'd interact with Kay Wood, and he was very supportive. And uh, he I mentioned the critique in 79. I've got two critiques that Kay Wood did for me, uh, one handwritten in 87 uh, when I was doing high school games mainly, but I think I'd done an SEC, some SEC tournament work maybe. I, I can't remember. And then um, – in 97, my first, in the middle of my first year doing Kentucky football, I have a, a typed critique where he signed it. So I've got those two. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's a nice story to hear uh, from, from Ralph because it's always best, and this is from this job, coaches, it's best to be the guy that follows the guy that follows the legend. It is tough to follow the legend. Joe B. did it as well as anybody in broadcasting or coaching shots. or whatever, and he took a lot of shots, and Ralph did too. Your first game, play-by-play, Kentucky football. August 30th, I believe, 1997, Kentucky-Louisville. And I've I've told Tim this. I'm always grateful to Tim Couch in part because <laughs> that was uh, the start really of the Tim Couch era of those two years. And um, he threw three touchdown passes in the first quarter against the arch rival. So that's a pretty good way for a new broadcaster to slide into the job. Because Kaywood told me, I've used this line a lot in, in talks, Kaywood said, you sound better when they win. And it was a funny line, but it's also very true. Butterflies before the game? Oh, yeah. There's two times I've really been nervous. Uh, the second one was the national championship game in 2012 because you at Kentucky, you want to get in that club. And uh, that was going to be my chance, if they and I thought they would win it. And so if they win a championship, those calls live on, whether they're good or bad, they live on. And so I wanted to you know, do justice to the moment. But the first time, the other time really, was that first game because I had a one-year contract and I had mostly high school experience. There were a lot of guys that sought the job that had a lot more college experience. But uh, Ralph and Jim uh, believed in me, and thank, thank goodness to them um, that they did. But I also knew that um, – if they found that confidence was unwarranted, I wouldn't get a lot of. Uh, it wouldn't get a, you know a second chance. You know, I had a one-year contract, and if I really didn't, if really did poorly, it might have been a one-game contract. But uh, you know, that was the thing I wanted to to do well to keep the job, and then eventually to get the basketball job. The moment you found out you were going to have the job 
in foot, first in football. Uh, how much preparation did you do during the summer on how you were going to call a game? What was going to be your signature statement? Yeah, I di- didn't really give any thought to that part of it. I uh, the thing that I'd learned from from Ralph and from Kaywood was to about the importance of preparation. And Jim had told me this too about uh, he, he would reference Claude Sullivan in particular about Claude's preparation. Um, uh, Jim told me uh, stories uh, about when he was hiring me and, and uh, giving me the, the charge for the job to um, that Claude would be on the road trip and be pouring over the media guide. You know, in those days, no internet. And so he's looking for nuggets of information. And Jim's challenge to me was, uh, I think it was Jerry Tipton at the time, was on the football beat. Uh, oh, no, I take it back, not in, ni- uh, not in 97. But anyway, Jerry Basketball, but whoever was on football, maybe John Clay at the time. So those guys, uh, and for the Herald Leader, and, and I can't remember who it was for the Courier, but anyway, those guys are going to have in their columns and story, game stories the next day notes of uh, that was – you know Tim Couch's first 300-yard passing game. That was uh, the 21 points in the first quarter was the most Kentucky scored in the first quarter since 1952, and et cetera. And he said, you should strive to have your listeners have heard everything in the broadcast the day before that they read in the paper the next morning, all those little nuggets. So, you know, from those uh, three guys, I learned the importance of preparing, you know, information, going to practices and watching and picking up nuggets of information so um that was a big part of uh you know the the month really leading up to the season as far as going to the practices doing a lot of research uh i remember i, I drove down to atlanta and spent a weekend with jeff van note because uh, i was going to be working with with jeff as my uh partner and didn't really uh, know him that well just knew knew him from but again i guess i wasn't in the booth at the game. So I didn't have much of an interaction with him. So uh, a buddy of mine uh, that I was working with the radio station, we drove down to Atlanta for the weekend and spent the weekend at Jeff's house. Uh, That Friday afternoon, we went out. He had a a radio show he was doing with Larry Munson on WSB in Atlanta. And so we went out and hung out with them doing the radio show and then went to the Braves game that night. And then uh, I came home the next day. Covered your bases very well that weekend. Yeah, to get to know Noter. And the thing is, that buddy that went with me on the baseball trip started a tradition of now a friend of mine named Steve Hayes that we worked at uh, the radio station together. We've gone on a baseball trip every summer since then. You, know, kind of started you may there. be the only married man I know that can get away. <laughs> well, it's a short trip. We see two games over three days and get uh, in and out pretty quickly. Uh, but, yeah, that was, uh, you know, got to made it sure, you know, formed a relationship and got off on the right foot with Jeff. Um, and then another part of that first summer and uh, I've got to give a lot of credit to CM Newton uh, two things he did he uh, first took me out to lunch after I got named to the football play-by-play job and um, uh, just was very encouraging supportive and he, he wrapped it up by saying Tom you've got this great opportunity now embarking on this new path in your career and I just want to give you two words or three words of advice or whatever four don't screw it up <laughs> and laughed and uh but it was you know it's kind of like the again the, the phrase with Kay Withers it's a it's a funny line but there's a lot of truth in it and then the other thing he did is he took me out to lunch with Hal Mummy because it was Hal's first year and he was the new football coach and I was the new football broadcaster and he took us out to lunch and I always figured I, I never asked anybody but I always figured that helped uh develop my relationship with Hal which 
uh, remains very good. Uh, he was he, he didn't always get a well, uh, get along great with the media folks here in Kentucky, but he and I had a wonderful relationship to the point that he gave me and I again have to credit CM for this unlimited access. I mean, I would walk I could walk into any meeting. They had a retreat every year out at Spindletop here in Lexington, and when they'd get to the recruiting part, you know, it, I never had to leave the room. The other coaches would say, "Is he okay? Yeah, he's good." Uh, so I learned a lot. I would every Sunday go in and sit uh, a lot of times with Hal and watch him break down film. And uh, he had Mike Leach talking about uh, things they were seeing and plays and just learned so much about uh, football that first year from the access that he gave me. And I think a lot of that goes back to that lunch that CM set up. What was a typical game day like for you? Let's say you got a 730 kickoff uh, at home. Yeah. it's What's your routine? I usually – like to have most of the hay in the barn by game day. I don't like to be doing a lot of prep work on game day. I like to have most of that done. I might be finishing up the lineup boards or something, especially if it's a night game. Sometimes I'll leave a little bit of work to do on a road trip just to have something to do, like uh, finishing up lineup boards and filling in some, you know, stat nuggets or whatever it might be. But I like to have most of the work done so that uh, game day I'm kind of reviewing and reading now with access to the internet you know you can read a lot of uh, the other about the other team uh, you know injuries etc whatever it might be stats nuggets of information so try to review and and look around to see if I've missed something it's just um, to uh, have that that done uh, but just kind of fine-tuning and say in the for a 730 game so maybe the morning is uh, going over a lot of that stuff and then you know if I'm Caught up by that late morning around noon. I'll you know watch game day and maybe a little bit of football. I'll just try to relax a little bit. And uh, I don't like I don't like situations. And sometimes you run into this in the basketball football overlap where there's just not enough hours in the day. And so I'm doing more work on game day than I would like to do and feel a little stressed. I like to have the prep done so that I'm just reviewing and I'm relaxed as I go to the game. So then I'll get to the game you know a couple of hours before a kickoff. Um, uh, Set up the booth is usually the first thing I do. Um, put everything where I want it. Uh, post things up on the board, on the on the glass. Uh, reminders, a lot of those stats that I would uh, have in that packet of information. You know, last time in Kentucky had you know over 100 yards, over 200 yards rushing. All that kind of stuff is uh, I'll have that handy where I know I can access it easily. Uh, lay out all my get my broadcast position all set. Uh, go visit a little bit, and then I like to watch the warmups because. I can pick up guys that I don't have on my depth chart. I can usually tell as they go through warmups if there's somebody, especially true and mainly true in football, where you know you're seeing a guy that uh, is maybe running in, in the pregame warmups that I don't have on my depth chart. So maybe he's moved up in practice that week. So I'll add that name to my uh, to my depth chart so that uh, yeah, the goal is hopefully not to get surprised by anything once the actual game starts and have uh, all of that done. And it's a funny story with. Uh, with Hal because of that relationship that I had uh, with him. Um, he would, was one of those coaches that scripted the first 20 plays. Uh, and so he would tell me before the game if there was anything unusual. Now, for our listeners, scripted 20 plays for game. In other words, no matter what happens, he's going to run those 20 plays. Pretty much. I, might, I mean, if they fumbled the ball and started at the one, he might tweak something. But basically, he was going to run those 20 or so. I'd say 20. It might have been, you know, changed to one or two. But it was essentially 20 plays. And what he was doing was had a, a bunch of different looks 
and he wanted to see how the defense – he didn't really care what happened from them so much. as planning for later in the game. Exactly, and how he was going to call the game, call his offense, off what he saw their reaction to different formations that Kentucky came out in or movements that they did, et cetera. So, you know, a lot of it was more technical than I, than I needed, but things like – there was a game I always remember um, first year they were playing Georgia – and he said, I went down, I'd go down and talk to him before the game. And he said, there's double reverse on the seventh play. And so wow. when, when they handed off to Craig Yeast going that way, I'm not going to get fooled because I know it's coming back this way. <laughs> and he would, and I never told anybody. Um, I mean, nobody in the booth, nobody in the family, anything. I just kept that completely to myself. But I knew uh, that, uh, you know, something unusual. And the other thing he would tell me was what the line was for – faking a punt and you know there was one day down at Georgia they were a huge underdog and he said it's our own 20 today so anything beyond our own 20 we might fake it and they faked it from about the 25 that day (laughs) unsuccessfully different announcers have different procedures before games some announcers like to get out and mingle with the media talk to them some like to sort of get over long and get their so-called game face on what kind of approach did you have as far as that? Did could you just walk in and just turn it on, or did you need to sort of get your mind? No, I like to, to to prepare mentally. That's why the first thing I do is kind of get the booth set so that I I don't want to be doing that, and again, kind of being under the under the gun right up to kickoff. I like to be cool, composed leading up to the kickoff, so all the work's done, and then I'm just kind of thinking about things and going back over some of those notes of critiques that I've gotten for year that are years back from Kaywood and Jim and Ralph and re- looking at those. And maybe, you know, you listen to a broadcast and maybe something you did the week before you didn't give the score enough or um, whatever it might be. And you, you know, refer to all of those notes. That's what I like to be doing in the, you know, the time before shortly before broadcast is kind of looking back over those things and not having to prepare uh, my lineup board or, or notes or anything like that. I like that to all be done. So that's usually the first thing I do. And then I'll, you know, go visit a little bit and uh, sit down at a table, have something to eat with somebody. Visit. Usually go check with the other team's announcer about pronunciations, uh, anything else that might be unusual, you know, injuries or, you know, you might tell them, you'll tell each other, you know, you should add this guy to your depth chart. He, you know, he might play today, this third, second-string offensive lineman or whatever that wasn't on the one that they handed out, but he's been, you know, playing some in practice this week. And, you know, you're not giving away anything that the coach would want, wouldn't want given away, but it's just helping out the fellow broadcaster of, you know, so you don't get fooled by somebody's in the game that you didn't think was going to play and you have to – you're scrambling to look up the number. There's a way to already have it there. Once the game's over, other than the score and who won or who lost, you get in your car and you're driving home or you're getting on a bus, whatever – What's going through your mind? Are you critiquing what you just did? And has that changed over the 20 years or so that you've been doing this? Uh, the, the only time I'm thinking about it to any, any great depth is if I do something wrong or that uh, or, or didn't do it well enough or something that bothered me to, that I will think about it and to hopefully do it better or differently the next time. If everything went well, then it's just maybe, you know, if you're on the bus on a road game, just kind of, Talking with, uh, you know, Mike or, or uh, Mike Pratt or on a basketball trip or uh, Jeff Picor on the football trip or Dick Gabriel, and we, you know, we'll talk about the game a little bit or rehash it or go over key plays like a fan would, really, well, um, or, or some of the UK people. You know, you just kind of talk really a lot in those situations. If unless there's something that's, you know, 
eating at me that uh, kind of look at it, talk about it more like a fan would. And then when I'll go home, if it's a home game, you know, I'll, uh, you know, uh, go home and just usually takes a while to unwind. So I'll uh, flip on a, a game on TV or something usually. Were there a special moment or two throughout your career where you clicked everything off, you did the coach's show, and you turned and you said, dang, that was good tonight? It's more, I guess, I don't know if I've ever phrased it that way, but it's just like, that was a good one tonight, and you you know if you you know if yeah. you if if it went like a coach or a player, you know if it if it went well, and you're happy I mean, with you, happy with your work. You obviously enjoy doing your job, and yeah. you want to be a success. Yeah. And when you sort of got that A plus, I, I will tell you, it, it, and it, I think coaches and players say this too. I, I remember doing an interview with Charlie McClendon one time, the legendary LSU coach, and he was uh, telling me a story about being at a coaches convention, and he was at a table, and it was with guys like. Daryl Royal, Woody Hayes, Bear Bryant, all these guys sitting around a table. And he said they were telling stories. And uh, Charlie Mack said that uh, I guarantee you people thought we were reliving our great victories and every one of us was remembering the tough beats that we had. And so I, I probably think more about it if there's some, if it didn't go as well as I wanted or, or something. Uh, you, you think more about it uh, than, than uh, if it goes well. I think that's probably just human nature. Let's talk a little bit about some people in your business that you've followed through the years, you've worked with uh, throughout the SEC. And I'm going to throw a name right back at you. You give me one go. Uh, uh, you got to give me a Larry Munson story and, and describe a little bit what Larry was famous for, rest his soul, uh, in becoming first, he, I think he was play by play announcer at Vanderbilt mm-hmm. and had the misfortune of having a hot mic when he didn't know it was hot. I don't remember that story. Oh, yes. Uh, he got fired. Oh, wow. Uh, on the air at the end of the game. Maybe I've heard that. I, that one's and and I won't use the exact words, but they were in a commercial break, and he didn't <laughs> know the mic was hot. And he said, you know, it would take a blank, blank food to come up and watch a blank, blank team like this <laughs> on a night when it's 15 degrees and raining. Um, and before he closed out the show, they had already telephoned and told him he'd lost his job. Oh, my goodness. And he resurfaced in Atlanta a couple, three years later and then got the Georgia job. And he said his famous line was, hunker down, hunker down. Hunker down, silver britches. Silver britches. <laughs> now go ahead. Uh, Larry uh, Bunsen uh, was just one of those legendary voices and gravelly voice. And uh, you, You'll remember this, the Pick-A-Dixie football broadcast that on a Saturday night, you know, most games were in the afternoon. Kentucky played in the afternoon on most of the time except in October during the Keeneland meets, the only time they play night games in those days, 60s and 70s. And so you go to Kentucky game in the afternoon and you'd listen to the Pick-A-Dixie game that night. And it, sometimes it would be a Georgia game. And they'd, they'd, whoever the home team was, I think they probably took that team's call. So if it was LSU at Georgia, you'd hear Larry Munson. If it was uh, Tennessee at LSU, you'd hear John Ferguson. Etc. And so I'd, I'd you know was familiar with with Larry Munson from that. And then you know Kaywood was not a we and they guy. Uh, so I never have been. There was uh, you know Kaywood was he was the, the Wildcats and you knew he was for Kentucky, but he never said us we or, or we. us. Uh, Larry did, and that's there's not not a necessarily right and wrong to that. It's uh, you know what you're what you're taught, how you how you uh, come up in the business. But uh, I remember that was a distinctive thing about uh, Larry style was that it was always we and, and they, uh, and uh, yeah, he just had some the legendary calls that you'd heard the uh, run Lindsey Lindsey Scott Lindsey Scott Lindsey when he 
caught the pass, a little turn in pass that he turned into a, a long touchdown run to beat Florida. Uh, I remember when the uh, Herschel Walker, uh, his debut, uh, and the legendary call of Herschel running over, I think it was Billy Bates, the Tennessee safety, and he just crushed him. And Larry's like, my God, a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was the other one where they beat Tennessee one year, and he, he's like, this is the we, we and they thing. We stepped on their throat with a hobnail boot. <laughs> Whatever that means, I don't know, but it was classic Larry Munson line. So, yeah, that's uh, I remember him for those. Uh, funny Larry story. He and uh, I mentioned the Jeff Van Note story earlier when I went down to uh, spend a weekend with Note, and he and Larry were uh, did that show together. And so Jeff lived in Atlanta, played for the Falcons, and I think Larry had probably done Falcons games. He did, yeah. And um, and so he and Larry were friends. So every year when Kentucky and Georgia played, this may have, this probably happened till the till the season Larry passed away. On the day of the game, Jeff uh, he said you always called Larry. He never answered his phone. You get his voicemail. So Jeff Van Note would call Larry Munson's phone on the day of the game and sing the UK fight song, <laughs> and then Munson would call him back and cuss him out. <laughs> uh, Bob Kesling, Tennessee, great friend. Um, Bob's, I, I, John. He he's the, one of those guys that's had to follow the legend, uh, and has done a good job. Done of very it. well. Yeah, and he had to follow John Ward, um, but helped that Bob was a, a local guy, and you know, uh, you know, Tennessee grad, and all, all of that. That I think I'm sure has has helped him. Plus the fact he's very good, um, and uh, just a you know good friend. He and Bert Bertelkamp that he works with in basketball uh, always enjoy those visits. Bob's from Dayton which is where Mike Pratt's from. So they always have a lot of good Dayton stories. Funny story on Bob uh, Kessling. Uh, two of them, actually, from the same same game. When Jody Meek scored the 54. Uh, Bob, uh, before the game, we're talking with him, and he pointed to this kid that looked like he was about 12 sitting on the Tennessee bench, and he was a manager for the Vols. I forget who the coach was. But uh, Bob pointed at him and said, see that kid over there? He was Jody Meeks in practice yesterday. He got 36. <laughs> so we kind of had an idea that Jody might have a good game, not yeah. 54, but that, you know, Tennessee was struggling defensively a little bit. And the other story was, and uh, I, I can't give you the, the exact quote on this, but uh, Bobby Mays guarded Jody most of that night, and Bobby Mays was a notorious trash talker. And even though he was getting scored on all most of the night, he had most did most of the defensive work on Jody, he just kept yapping. And Jody never said a word. Finally, Jody's got 49 points. And Bob told me the story that uh, the next time Kentucky and Tennessee played uh, from this from that 54-point game, um, Jody steps to the free-throw line, and the referee's down at the baseline, hasn't come up to give him the ball yet, and Jody leans over to Bobby Mays, and the only thing he said all night, he goes, hey, blank, in case you lost count, this is 50. <laughs> and the thing I always like best about that story is he had 49 at that point. He knew he was going to hit the free throw, and he did, and he ended up with 54. And uh, uh, when Bob told me the story, I told uh, the video guy at Kentucky, uh, who's still Tim Asher, and I was telling Tim, and he started laughing before I even finished the story. He said, oh, I know, because you can see on the video Patrick Patterson, who was standing next to Bobby Mays, fall over laughing into the lane. He had to reset on the foul line. <laughs> A legend, Eli Go, Alabama. Couldn't you know? Eli was one of those guys that you didn't see, hadn't seen much, uh, hadn't seen it at all for the first time I met him because you know Kentucky and Alabama rarely uh, played in football, and he just did football. Uh, Chris Stewart does basketball, 
but Eli didn't uh, only does football. So Kentucky and Alabama rarely played. And um, I, I remember um, the first time they played was here in Lexington when Kentucky beat them in 97. And I don't remember – maybe I didn't – catch up to Eli before that game because the first time I remember talking to him was the next time Kentucky and Alabama played, which is in Tuscaloosa. And, uh, you know, Eli's legendary voice of the Crimson Tide and you heard all these great things about him and NASCAR and uh, didn't know, you know, how approachable he'd be. And he was sitting at a table with Kenny Stabler, who was his uh, analyst at the time. And I went over just to introduce myself and they invited me to sit down and we visited for a while and uh, nobody has ever been nicer to me than uh, than Eli uh, and, and Snake, for that matter. Um, so Eli's uh, remained a, a good friend. Just don't see him that often. I think that may have been the trip that we made with Harold Wayne Brownie. Probably was. Uh, we had to stop. Harold Thomas. We had to stop the Krispy Kreme at 1 o'clock in the morning after the game <laughs> that night. That was our engineer, Mike Dodson, our producer yeah. and engineer, Mike Dodson. If the hot sign was on, we stopped. There you go. Jack Criscale, who just retired a Didn't, few years. Yeah, Jack at Mississippi State. Um, don't have any particular stories on him. Uh, didn't uh, – you know, I've heard some, but, you know, stories you hear, always hear from other people worked around him or whatever, funny stories. There's a story was, it was told to me, I assume it's true, about Jack getting into a fight one time with a fan who was standing up in front of the booth and wouldn't sit down. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, it just – he was always cordial to me, but just never did have much interaction. You know, you just have a quick visit or something. That was about it with Jack. I never did have a lot of interaction with him. A guy who you know a lot about. In fact, he's the new play-by-play at Mississippi State. Neil. Neil Price. Yeah. Uh, so happy for him to get that job because I was just – a friend of mine sent me a story uh, that was in the New York Times maybe last Sunday about this young broadcaster in the minor leagues. He's in AAA. And he's in his 30s, and he aspires to be a major league broadcaster but just never knows if he'll get that opportunity. So he's plying his trade and doing well, and he's gotten – recognition he's been up for jobs but didn't hasn't been able to get one yet and you know not a lot of these uh, you know play-by-play jobs of sec job or major league job or an nba job there's not a lot of them and so there's 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 more people that are talented enough uh and experienced enough to do them than there are doing them but it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time so i was so thrilled for neil to get his chance and he's doing a great job at uh, mississippi state so just uh, enjoyed working with him and uh, funny story on Neil. I don't know if you've uh, talked to him for one of these or not, but he always tells this when uh, he got hired. They were telling him about Kaywood, about you know how the legend Kaywood was. And for Neil, the legend he grew up in Tennessee. His legend was John Ward. In the same way that for Kentuckians, it's Kaywood. Well, about a week or two ago, he did a poll on his Twitter thing about the legendary oh, yeah. announcers, and he had John Ward, and he had Jack Crystal, he had Kaywood. And he had, uh, who was it? There was a fourth one. Munson, maybe? No, no, it was, it was a guy at LSU. Jim Hawthorne. No, uh, the, uh, Ferguson. Oh, John Ferguson. Yeah, he had those four. And so he had some votes coming up. So he sends me a text, hey, Oscar, why don't you retweet these? I'd like for Kaywood to get a few more. Well, Kaywood was going along about 6%, and Crystal was going along at 61%. Because of Neil's followers at Mississippi yeah. State. And so I retweeted, and... <laughs> I think KSR retweeted it flip flop and I mean twenty minutes Crisco was down to like seventeen and Kaywood was up to sixty five. <laughs> Good. So no think, no offense to Jack, but it Kaywood should be there or higher. That's right. Um Mickey Hubert, Florida. Yeah, Mick's a great guy. Um uh he's been uh he's had the job for a long time, so he's the guy when I was 
first, uh, you know, early days of, of doing this that gave me some good advice and still does. And, uh, uh, he, uh, does a lot of basketball work, not as much now, but used to with a guy named Mark Wise, who's a good friend too, his analyst, who's, uh, Mark's, uh, from Kentucky originally. Yes. Um, but, uh, Mix, I think a Dayton, Dayton boy as well. So he and Pratt have that connection. Um, but yeah, uh, Mix, um, Good guy. I uh, don't have any any funny stories uh, from interaction with Mick. Just uh, see him every year because Kentucky and Florida play so regularly in both sports. So uh, see him uh, like like Bob Kessling a lot and uh, good friends. Chris Blair, LSU. Uh, Chris sent me a tape to critique when he was at Georgia Southern, um, and so I've uh, had a connection with him. Probably goes back ten, twelve years or something, and so I was thrilled when he got the uh, the LSU job. Um, because he's one of those young guys that, you know, I had to critique the tape like, you know, Kay Wood had done for me and tried to give him some good tips. And um, he has worked his way up now to doing a great job with LSU, so thrilled for him. Rod Bromley. Uh, Rod, just good friend. I don't you don't see Auburn a lot, uh, especially in football. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, always, you know, helpful. Just no, no particular stories with Rod. Just uh, I don't – Fortunately, don't have any bad stories with any of these guys, but uh, good guy. Joe Fisher, Vanderbilt. Yeah, same. Joe's um, uh, always uh, very helpful. Comes on uh, a lot of these guys. All these guys come on my radio show a lot, you know, and I'm happy to reciprocate with them if uh, needed. But uh, Joe's just uh, always a uh, great guy to work with. Uh, been around a long time, so you know he's uh, knows the lay of the land. So you, with all, like with Mick and Bob and these guys, you can kind of. They they know you can share information and they know you know how to how to handle it and you know if it's you know confidential it's just just for you to use in your broadcast don't be spreading it around that kind of thing so they're good about that. Scott Howard, yeah, Scott followed uh, the legend Larry Munson and is doing great uh, in that that role. That's not an enviable position to have to follow a guy like Munson, uh, but Scott was was uh, like me in that he'd come up through the doing the scoreboard shows and all of that. So uh, he had been known to the audience already when he uh, got the chance to be the play-by-play guy. And um, so just good guy, um, easy to work with. You know, the, the nice thing about, uh, as far as I can tell any of these guys, we all got to have a little bit of ego, but nobody's off the charts. Some of these guys, they all, you know, the, the game's the thing. Uh, they you don't try you don't to be Milo bigger. Hamilton's around. Yeah, nobody's trying to be bigger than the game. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't work with. Him. I mean, I know Milo is not didn't work around him, but you know, I grew up listening to. Like I said, Kay Wood and Ralph. Tom Hammond was you know a guy that I followed a lot as I was coming up in the business, and you know those those guys approach it that the you know the game's the star. Yeah, speaking of Tom, uh, Tom and Kenny both to get up to where they have. Yeah, and actually, with NBC, they've they've had really great careers. They have uh, happy for those guys. Uh, Tom got me. Uh, on the uh, NBC crew before I started doing uh, Kentucky football games to work some uh, Breeders' Cups um, for NBC as a production assistant, and it was uh, great fun. And so just had a nice visit with him um, about a week ago before Justify won the Triple Crown. Um, but, you know, classy guys that do good work, high-quality work, and remember, you know, the game and the athletes are the stars and, and – not the broadcasters, and so they they uh, always and because of that, they I think their work even rises higher because of that. Dave South A and M. Dave uh, just retired. Um, didn't 
you know, just has just come into the league in the last few years. Um, but uh, very nice, easygoing guy. Um, when uh, Billy Gillespie got hired here, he of course come from Texas A and M. So I called Dave to try to get a little scouting report, and he paused. Are you serious? And I said, "Yeah." You mean about hiring him? Yeah. No, no, not about hiring. Just about you know, oh. he's like he thought maybe I was joking or something because of you know what was gonna what was gonna come. <laughs> <laughs> he thought maybe I'd already heard some stories and that I was joking. And I was like, "No, I'm serious." And he goes, "Okay." And so he he gave me some good insight. So he you had early insight. Then. Yes, yes, I, I did. Uh, just in terms of uh, you know that uh, Billy was an unusual guy, and David had that experience too from you know working. Uh, you know, doing the you do pregame interviews, all those kinds of things. Well-known guy deep in the South, Jim Hawthorne, LSU. Yeah, um, Jim uh, didn't you know, didn't see him, haven't seen him as much in, in football over the years, but uh, and even basketball has been in recent years more sporadic. So, um, but always friendly, easy to work with. Uh, you know, always that's uh, the thing is just you want a good relationship with these guys so you can trade information, get the pronunciations, get all that. So you get the right info for your audience, and uh, same for them. And so, um, but fortunately, I've had a good relationship with all those guys to to achieve that. Some of the guys that you've worked with the UK network, some you worked directly with in radio, and others that was with the network, but maybe you didn't work with them because they were doing TV. But let's start out with uh, your first uh, analyst, Jeff Note. I love uh, Note. He was, you know, you like having somebody that's comfortable to work with that you. And we easily developed a relationship, you know, good relationship on air and off. But uh, note is so good um, that you accept. He he was good about because as the play-by-play guy on radio, you're following the ball. That's the main responsibility. And in football, there's so much going on away from the ball that note and being a former offensive lineman would be able to tell you, you know, why this play worked. Because of this, you know, left guard that pulled and kicked out this linebacker, et cetera, he would be able to fill in those things that I couldn't fill in and doing the play-by-play because I've got to follow the the, the ball and, and call those movements with the ball. And so he he had that good feel for for filling in the the missing pieces and uh, getting uh, in and and out because in in radio, uh, TV analyst has the luxury of talking longer because the pictures are there in radio. You know, uh, Kay would always tell him you know he needed it back when they break the huddle to be able to set the formation, et cetera. And so uh, Jeff was good about understanding all of that. He'd been a, you know, been doing it a long time. Jeff Pecoro. Best tribute to, to Pick is that he followed a guy as good as Van Note and didn't get any complaints that I'm aware of. So that tells you how well Jeff has done in the do, job. Do you, remember, do you remember watching him play at UK? Oh, yeah. Because you weren't that far behind him. Yeah, um, I was in school at the time. I uh, didn't have any classes with him. But, I, I mean, I, my last year at UK was 83, so he was there at the time. But never did uh, have any interaction that I recall. But, yeah, I definitely remember um, watching the games and he was playing, his, uh, especially his last couple of years he played more. And uh, uh, a friend of mine from Bourbon County was on the team and also played the same position Jeff did. So – uh, followed him even closer closer because of that. Um, but uh, Jeff stepped very seamlessly into the role. I remember we auditioned several guys uh, for the role. They had me do a, a game off, off tape with several different guys when uh, Van Note uh, stepped aside. And we were trying to find who the next guy was going to be. And probably uh, Jeff Bacor was not – probably if we'd put a 
a betting line on it, he wouldn't have been the, the favorite at that point. But he, he quickly, once we did those sample games, he emerged as the clear clear leader. He was the, the guy, and uh, he's been very good at it. And the thing about you know all of these, him, Van Note, uh, Pratt in basketball, they are uh, uh, very good and they'll, at their jobs, and they will tell you uh, the honest picture of, of what they're seeing. But they're also former Wildcats, and they're, they want to see the Wildcats win. I remember my second year down at uh, LSU, Kentucky uh, made that rally and beat LSU on a field goal at the buzzer. And Jeff Van Note from his playing days, I'm sure had bad memories of Tiger Stadium and probably a lot of stadiums from <laughs> being in those, those John Ray teams. They, unfortunately, for Note didn't win a lot. But anyway – uh, I'm calling the ball going through the uprights, and I hear a, yeah! <laughs> and it sounds like a fan screaming, and I look over, and it's Van Note leaning out of the press box to all the LSU fans pumping both fists. <laughs> In basketball, you've been blessed with one analyst. Mm-hmm. Mike Pratt from the beginning. Uh, we started, it was his first year, too, in uh, the 01-02 season because uh, uh, Sam Bowie had done the games with Ralph, and when Ralph stepped down, Sam did, too. And um, so Mike and I started at the same time. And he's a lot like it was the trend. That transition was a lot like it was with Van Note when I started football. Guys who are very exceptionally good at, at the work, but they take the work very seriously. They don't take themselves too seriously. You know, no, no divas or anything like that. Uh, just, you know, very comfortable to work with, uh, understand what the role is and what their uh, – you know, the, the importance of, of what we're doing to the Kentucky fans and to take the work seriously and um, uh, prepare. And uh, Mike's always comes with his notes, and he's got his prep done. Sam Pecoro's always got his notes when he comes in. So they've, they've done the work. they put the work in before the broadcast. Back in football, a couple of games the last couple of years when Jeff has had to be out of town with the Reds. I don't know why he would choose them over us. I don't think he chooses. He gets it's that's his main job. That's (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Fred Maggard stepped in. Yeah, Uh, Van Note filled in a few times before that, but the last couple years, Freddie Maggard. It's been a blast working with Freddie, and I've done a couple spring games with him because Jeff again is usually tied up with the Reds in April. So, um, uh, and Freddie's like those guys. You know, loves loves the Wildcats, but also, you know, was knew he was there to to do a job and was going to tell you the, the, the bad as well as the good. And, um, uh, but I've enjoyed, uh, just getting to view a very limited number of games with Freddie. And one guy that's been around all this, all the time, he's your sideline reporter, but he's been a, able to pick up a mic anywhere at any time. That's Dick Gable. Yeah. Dick's one of those guys that could do, he could be the, he could do the play by play. He could be the analyst. Uh, he can do his sidelines or he could do anything and be, uh, very good at it. So he's, uh, in, you know he's been around longer than than any of us now, so he's got uh, the the greatest treasure trove of stories probably. <laughs> and you need some of those sometimes if the game game gets out of hand. Uh, so it's nice that you can talk with you know throw it down to Gabe and bring up a topic, and you know he's gonna you know he's got a deep roots within the Kentucky program and a lot of history with it. So you can and, you know he didn't have to go look it up to engage in a conversation with you. It's in his head. And part of your pregame shows over the years, Dave Baker. Yeah, Buzz, uh, Buzz and I, uh, his nickname for those who don't know, uh, in 1977, um, or no, 78, I guess it was, 78 season, my high school baseball coach, a guy named Larry Conrad, uh, his, uh, one of his fraternity brothers was the high school coach at Franklin, Ohio. And they started this series 
where Franklin would come down and play Bourbon County, Paris, Harrison County, play four or five games over a weekend. And then the next year we'd go up to Franklin and we'd play teams up there from Franklin and Dayton and Springboro. And so the first time the series started probably would have been the spring of 78. Uh, the way it worked is when the Franklin players came to, to Paris for the series, uh, the Franklin players, each Bourbon County player would take a Franklin, Ohio player home with you so that they wouldn't have to stay in hotels. And so just the luck of the draw, I drew Dave Baker. <laughs> so he was on the Franklin team as a catcher, and so he came and spent the night out at the farm, and uh, somebody ran through a fence at 6 a.m. in the morning, and my dad woke us up to chase the cattle back out onto, back from the road onto the farm. And that he was end of his farming days. Yeah, probably so. So uh, he always tells that story. But, yeah, so I go way, way back with Dave. And then um, – I don't know. I don't think we've ever done it. I think we've ever done a game together. He's always done uh, pre pregame stuff for for years now. So I'm, you know, doing uh, chats with him as as part of that, especially in basketball. He didn't do uh, football anymore. Um, but uh, just you know, pro as a broadcaster, and uh, always enjoy working with him. Three guys that's been very instrumental to the quality of the broadcast over the years, and I'll start out with. Uh, Mike Dotson, longtime uh, producer, and we lost him as our producer when um, uh, the rights holder changed, and he stayed with the previous rights holder, IMG. He had a full time job with them, and so uh, he had to had to stay with them because of that was his full time job. So, uh, but from my first broadcast in in '97 uh, up through I guess about the 2015 football season, it was uh, Mike as our uh, producer. Uh, initially probably was the engineer too setting up the equipment but uh, later just the producer and just you know so again kind of like even more so than Gabe he goes further back uh, just great stories and uh, the thing about uh, that that Dodson was was great about or and still is I just don't work with him anymore but um, all of us that are on the UK network because of the standard that was set by Kaywood that for all of us but really even Claude too and you know, all the other people that did Kentucky games. But if you just start with when it became the Kentucky Network in 68, um, Kaywood was one of the best, if not the best, in the nation. And there was a really um, tremendous commitment to doing it right and doing a high-quality broadcast and not cutting any corners or, um, you know, unders underselling the, the job and uh, not preparing adequately, et cetera. And so that commitment to, to doing good work, uh, setting the bar high uh, stay, has stayed. And uh, Mike gets a, a lot of uh, credit for that through that time, uh, along with Jim and Ralph and et cetera, that followed Kaywood. But uh, just a real, you know, tremendous commitment to, you know, getting it right. And if, you, you know, if you uh, get something wrong, he'd point it out um, to, you know, needs to be corrected or if the sound wasn't right or something was, was off, we would work to get it fixed. I was starting a network or something like that today. He would be the first person. Oh. Was, it, everything had to be. He's done a lot of work with Westwood One and yes. those guys, but they know how good and, he is, too. And, and you could tell, I doubt he was ever called on the carpet by Jim Host. No. And there's I not been many people that worked for Jim yeah. that wasn't called on yeah. the carpet at least once. And that's because of it how was, good he was. And, how good. And, 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 you know, I'm sure Jim could see how, you know, it, everybody's going to make a mistake. Yes. But that, you know, it's a, it's a mistake of, uh, what do they say, of commission, not omission. He, he didn't, it wasn't a mistake because he wasn't prepared. It was just a mistake, you know, that could happen to anybody. Uh, some, of, some of the pregame calling shows that we would do, when times would get tough, 
and they could get tough, particularly during a certain era, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, he would come in, and he would tell whoever was answering the calls how to answer them, and, you know, yeah. every, everything went smooth just yeah. because, and nothing phased him either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Jimmy Barnhart. Yeah, Jim's been with us in basketball. Actually, I, I think – I think as far he was, he came on with Ralph, so he he's been with me from the, my beginning of doing basketball, and he's the guy that sets up all the equipment, and you know, huge Kentucky fan, so he's fully invested in it. But he's knows his pro first too. thing is to, as a pro to be there and get get that equipment set up, and so he's always there early and doing you know the prep work in terms of for me prep work is names and numbers and stats, and for him it's you know phone lines and. Uh, hookups and effects feeds from the TV networks and all of that stuff. And if it doesn't sound good, to to make it sound good. And, uh, again, that commitment to, you know, it's a good thing about the Big Blue Nation. They'll let you know if it's if it's not up to standard. And uh, we all know that, and, and that's good. And if they can't hear it. Yeah, if they can't hear it or if it sounds if it's off or if a fact is wrong. And that's that's the way it should be. Um, and that's what uh, keeps it keeps that bar set high. And so – um, Jim is, uh, is very, you know, we never, the nice thing is from my standpoint, I don't have to ever have to worry about that. I know it's going to be taken care of. You know, the technical stuff's going to be taken care of. Uh, I, I can't go. Uh, and, and same thing I should say in football, Daryl Doss does our home games now. And uh, John Kramer uh, does road games for us. Kramer is out of Atlanta and does a lot of work with the, the Hawks and the Thrashers down there. And so those are our guys in football. And they have that same uh, commitment to you know, doing, doing a really good job. And here too is uh, Tim Anstead and Bo Robinson. Mm-hmm. Yep. And even uh, they filled in as some, yeah. at times in produce. Sometimes when you get into that basketball football overlap, you uh, you need an, a second producer, a second what uh, analyst, a second play by play guy at times. And so Bo and, and Tim have uh, have filled in at times in those producer roles. And that's the nice thing about this operation. There's always there's a deep bench you can go to. Tom Devine. How can we forget him? Yeah, He's Tom, the real giant. Tom retired as the engineer. Uh, what we're talking about uh, with Jim and Daryl and, and Kramer, uh, Tom was that guy for football and basketball, and he retired when Kaywood retired. He figured uh, it was a good time to go out. And uh, But I still see Tom. He does uh, the engineering for the Sweet 16 radio network at the high school basketball tournaments. I always see him when I get to go to the Sweet 16. And, um, yeah, just good good guy, good dude, and uh, always had a smile on his face. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. And our thanks goes to the voice of the Cats, Tom Leach, for sitting down with Oscar. We'll have more with Tom coming up in a future episode, but you can keep up with Tom at his website, TomLeachKY.com, and follow Tom on Twitter at TomLeachKY. The best way to make sure you don't miss an episode of Conversations is to subscribe through either the Google Play Store or iTunes. Search at Wildcat News and subscribe. Each episode will be automatically downloaded to your mobile device absolutely free. And you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of Conversations at oscarcombs.com. Make sure you stay in the know with the big O. He's on Twitter at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and I thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. And as always, go Big Blue.